us, is this the lunch loop? If so, um, we wish to cancel. Um, we do not wish to belong to that or to pay this anymore. Thank you. Hey everybody, welcome to the Lundloo Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the intersection of markets, trading, and life. When I last left you, I was about ready to enter into my own personal version of hell. Now this involved taking my daughter and some of her friends to Knott's Scary Farm, which is the Halloween version of Knott's Berry Farm, a lower tier amusement park out here in Orange County. Now I don't mind taking my daughter and her friends to Knott's Scary Farm. What I minded is that there is this rule where if you're under 18, you have to be accompanied by an adult, which meant not only did I have to buy a ticket and go into the park, but I had to stay in the park the whole seven hours that they were there. I couldn't leave. So wasn't really looking forward to that because Friday night is when I do the Lund Loop. But I thought, okay, no big deal. I'll put my laptop and my tablet, my accoutrement in my backpack. I'll get inside the gate, I'll find a spot, hopefully with a adult beverage, and I'll just bang out the Lund Loop while they go do their thing. Unfortunately, I found out after I was done recording the last podcast that there are actually other circles of hell, and I was about ready to go into one of those potentially. Because for Not Scary Farm only, they have a rule that says you can't bring a bag in that's bigger than six and a half inches by four and a half inches by two inches thick. Now, you're probably sitting there trying to figure out how big that bag would be. I'll give you a hint. It's about half the size of a sheet of paper. You can't put a whole lot in a bag that big. Certainly not a laptop. Now, when I got the information, I twitched for a moment, but I immediately started going into problem-solving mode. My daughter and her friends, on the other hand, started to freak out. Like, we don't have bags that small. How can we, you know, how can we do this? One of the things I've noticed with kids in my son and daughter's age range is they don't seem to have really good problem-solving skills. I don't want to sound like the old man yelling at clouds, but I really notice it a lot. Now, this could be because in my generation, if you missed the school bus home, you didn't have a phone where you could call someone to pick you up or to get an Uber. You had to problem solve. You had to figure things out. I think my kids' generation, good or bad, right or wrong, they have a lot of conveniences. And because of that, they haven't had to do a lot of the problem solving that maybe other generations did. I find it they, they just they come up to the first blocker and then they're like, I don't know what to do. I'll, I'll say to my daughter, like, did you call them? I did, but... They weren't home. Like, okay, well, did you text? Did you send an email? How'd you try when you're, you know, all these different ways to figure it out. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. So I thought this is a perfect opportunity for me to show by example how you can problem solve. So I said to my daughter, I said, okay, this is a problem, this bag thing. Let's figure out how we can solve it. Get in the car. So we go over to Burlington Coat Factory. She's like, what are we doing here? I said, we're going to find fanny packs. We're going to get a fanny pack that's about the size of what they, you know, their, their parameters. And we'll use that. Oh, so we look, you know, do you have any fanny packs here? Sorry, we don't. It's like, what are we going to do? 
Like, we're going to go to another store. So we go to Marshall's. Marshall's has fanny packs. They have these little neoprene fanny packs to the perfect size. I said, let's, let's grab some. They're like six bucks. So she grabs two. I'm like, hey, why don't we grab five? And she kind of looks at me like, why? I said, well, maybe your friends, in case one of them doesn't have a bag small enough, then they could use one of these. Oh, you know, the light goes off. So we get the fanny packs. We come back to the house to get ready to go. And I start putting all of my stuff in my backpack, my laptop, my mouse, my tablet, my charger, my headphones, everything. And she's like, well, why are you bringing all that stuff? You, you can't get it into the park. You can't bring a backpack. I said, yeah, I know. And what she didn't know is that I had called right after I found out about this. I called the customer service at Knott's Berry Farm. I got a answering machine and one of those things where they say, uh, leave your number and we'll call you back. So I did that. I hadn't heard back from them. It was after five. So I thought, well, I probably won't hear back from them. But I thought, well, I'm going to take all this stuff. And then what I'll do is we'll go in. And when I get to the front, I'll ask security. I'll say, hey, can I just bring in a laptop? No bag. Can I just bring a laptop? And if they say yes, then I'll get the girls in and I'll go back out, grab my laptop and come back in. If not, no big deal. So we go and pick up our friends. We're driving over to Knott's and we're waiting in the line to get into the parking structure. And I get a call. I answer it on speakerphone. This is like 6.30 at night. And I hear, hi, this is Barbara from Knott's Customer Service. Sorry, we're so backed up today, but we're trying to get through this list and, and call people back. What can I help you with? I said, Barbara, let me ask you a question. Can I bring just a laptop in? Not a bag, but just a laptop. She's like, you probably can. Let me, let me check with security. So she puts me on hold. This is on speakerphone, so the girls can hear what's going on here. Comes back on, she says, yeah, they said as long as it's not in a bag, you can bring whatever you want in. I said, great. Do you think there's going to be a problem when I get to security up front? Do they know this? And she said, well, my name's Barbara. I'm the head of customer service. And Benny, who I just spoke to, is the head of security. It's like, great. Benny, Barbara, awesome. So we drive into the parking structure, and as you get to the parking structure, there's a little gate where they check your, you know, your pass that you've already paid. And the guy holds up this little tiny purse. He says, I just want to let you know that we have a rule tonight that this is as big of a bag as you can bring in. You can't bring anything bigger. And all four of the girls just kind of look at it like, okay. So we go, we park. And I hear this, you know, they're talking among themselves in the back. And it turns out that one of her friend brought this, this little round, like a clutch bag. Actually, a pretty cute clutch bag. Like, I don't wear clutch bags, but if I was the type of guy that wore a clutch bag, I'd wear that clutch bag. It's really cute. But it looked like it might be a little bit bigger than the parameters. And they were having this debate, like, I don't know. You think it will, it will, it probably will. I said, hey why don't we just walk right back over here to the booth? It's just right here. We just drove past it. Let's go. We'll bring your little clutch. We'll show it to the guy. Say, hey, does this work? Can we get in? And then he'll let us know. And they all just looked at me like, uh, I think it will be okay. I said, are you sure? She said, my mom measured it at home. I said, I know, but the guy's right here. We can get the definitive answer. 
And they, you know, it's waiting for somebody's, that little light bulb that goes up over their head. They go, oh yeah, let's, let's figure it out right here. But they didn't want to do it. So I'm, all right, whatever. So I start pulling everything out of my backpack. I got my laptop. I've got my cord. I've got a block charger. I've got the mouse. I've got my iPad tablet. I've got a, a pad of paper and pens. I've got books. I look like, you know, it's like on all different pockets and clipped to my body. I look like a, a SWAT member going on tactical alert. And they're all looking at me like, how are you going to get that stuff in? And I'm like, you know, I talked to the security guy. They said I can do it. But you're going to have to carry that stuff around all night. I was like, mm, I don't think I'm going to have to. And they couldn't figure it out. So whatever. We start walking and we have to walk a long way. We have to walk like three quarters of a mile from where parking is to the entrance. And again, we walk right past that parking booth. And I say, you sure you don't want to go right over there, like 20 feet over there to the parking booth and check with this guy? And again, it's like, oh, my mother, she measured at home. I'm like, I know, but he can really give us the definitive. I'm sure your mom did a great job, but just in case. And what I'm trying to get through to them is like, it's a long way back from the entrance if we can't get in. If you get up there and this little clutch you have is too big, you have two choices. One, you get it taken away, which I know you're not going to want to do because her grandma gave it to her. Two, we got to walk all the way back. You can't go in without me, so we're going to have to walk all the way back. And then, But there's just not that critical thinking. So we walk up to the front. We get there. Security's there. They show her, her her little clutch. Turns out it works. Her mom knows how to measure. Okay, so they let her in. With me, I had to go to a separate line because I had all this stuff on me. And one of the guys like, I don't know. And I said, no, no, I, I talked to Barbara and Benny and they said, it works. You know, we can, I can bring in. And he, oh, you, you talked to Benny? Okay. You know, my, my daughter's watching this. I hope she's taking notes, right? Write down the people's name when you get, uh, you know, information like this. Because there might be a disconnect between the, the nerve center and the people on the front line. So I've got all this stuff. I walk in and they're like, well, you got it in, but you know, you're going to have to carry it all night long. I said, no, I don't think so. As soon as we get in the front entrance, I take a right-hand turn and I walk straight into the gift shop. And I say, hey, do you have any bags? And the guy says, uh, well, we've got these $75 leather bags here or we've got these $9.95 tote bags. Two different styles. One with boysenberries all over it and the other with the Peanuts gang because Peanuts has a licensing agreement with Knott's. I said, I'll take the boysenberry bag put 10 bucks on the counter and I take my laptop, put it in there, my charger, my cord, all my stuff. It's just all in my tote bag. And the girls are literally looking at me like their heads are exploding. And I get this like, how did you know that there would be bags here? And how did you know that they would sell them because they weren't going to let any bags in? So I said, it's an amusement park. They sell stuff in the gift shops. And they're not going to not sell all the bags because of this rule. They're going to say, well, if you buy a bag inside the park, you can, you can use it all night long. And again, they're kind of just looking at me like I did a magic show or something. So I thought it was a good, uh, a good example for my daughter. Show her all these different things, you know, ways to solve problems, get what you needed to get done. 
I went over to the Calico Bar. Turns out that they had no seating. They closed their seating area off for um, Not Scary Farm, which is no big deal because I found another place and got an adult beverage, parked myself in a in a booth, and I knocked the Lund Loop out. So it worked out fine. Little side note. I'm a 55-year-old man. Nothing really scares me except for inflation. So when I went to Not Scary Farm, I wasn't worried about the scare actors. Now, scare actors are guys and gals that roam throughout the park. They're dressed up in these really elaborate costumes. I mean, they're like professional-type costumes, and they're crazy clowns or weird zombies or werewolves or vampires, just bizarre outfits. And their goal is to freak you out. And they're pretty goddamn good at it. Uh, They can't touch you, but they can get right up next to you. They also have a lot of contraptions that make very disturbing uh, sounds. And uh, they can can come up from behind you. They can do all sorts of things that, that are short of touching you, but are very disturbing. So I'm walking through trying to figure out a place where I'm going to uh, just hunker down and do the Lund Loop. And the production at Not Scary Farm is really professional. It's like Disneyland level. Everywhere you go, it's very atmospheric. There's like a fog on the ground and they have these lasers that kind of arc through the fog and just make it really hard to see. And one of the things that these scare actors do is they have these, uh, they're like shin guards, but they're made of metal. And so there's a, a little point on the knee part and there's a point on their boots. And so what they'll do is they'll be in a dark alcove and you're walking on, on the, the concourse. They'll see you coming. They'll start running towards you. And when they get about eight or nine feet away, they'll go and slide down on their knees. And so what happens is you start seeing this dark object coming at you at a very low angle, like like the angle that no one should be at, like at, at a like a wild animal angle. So that number one is very off-putting. Number two is you can't see them that well because they're in this fog. But what's really weird is these metal contraptions that they have on their lower legs, they spark. They, they create sparks both from the knees and the feet. So you're sitting there walking. I'm, I'm walking through with a beer. And out of nowhere, I hear you know, a guy making a growling sound along with this scraping sound coming at me from the low right with sparks going everywhere. And I literally like spilled my beer. It was like worth it. It was worth it. I had to give it up to this guy. But what's really fun to watch is as you go throughout the park, they're everywhere. And they'll jump out. And most of the time when they jump out, the person that they're jumping out at freaks out. They go, oh my God. And they, they jump and you got me. Those people are most likely from Orange County, from the neighboring towns, or maybe San Diego. Every now and then, you'll see a scare actor give it everything they've got. They jump out, they're right up next to the person, they're throwing everything but the kitchen sink at them, and the person is just totally blasé. They're just walking, they're not even bothered with it. And after about a minute or two, the scare actor will be like, San Francisco? Or Los Angeles. Oh, you're from San Francisco. Yeah, um, nothing you see tonight's going to be real scary. I mean, uh, there's going to be random people. They'll be jumping out. 
They'll get in your personal space in a very threatening way. And die. Woo, real scary, huh? Whereabouts in San Francisco are you from? Oh, downtown San Francisco, huh? You want a job? Uh, is this the lunch loop? This segment would be more apropos if I did it the last week of December. Because it's one of those, hey, let's look back and reflect on the year and what happened segments. But I'll be honest with you. I'm way, way into end of year vibes already. I mean, I've blown past the pumpkin spice candle phase and I am deep, deep into the forest pine candle phase. In fact, this weekend, I'm going to get out some Christmas decorations. So I'm already in that wrap it up mode. Now, if the market rallies and there's some opportunities, I'll be all over them. But I just thought I'd take an opportunity in this podcast segment to give you some of my thoughts about this market in relation to some other markets, how I think it's changed me. But more importantly, I want to deliver a message of hope and optimism to you if you're listening right now. All right. So the first thing I have to say is this has been a challenging market. More than anything, it's been a frustrating market. But in my trading account, it has been a profitable year. And I'm really proud of that because I think we have done a great job in navigating a tough, tough market. It started last November, a year ago, when I said, look, we need to start you know, taking risk off because the market was giving us some signs. And I really think we have done a good job at keeping risk off when the market didn't warrant it, but identifying opportunities when they came up and exploiting them. So I feel really good about that. Now, my long-term accounts, my retirement accounts, they're in the shitter, as I'm sure yours are. But that's why they're long-term accounts. There's nothing you can do about them. They're passive, so whatever. But I want to talk about how this market has changed me as a trader. And it's weird because... You'd think like after 35, 37 years of doing this, well, like you're the person you're going to be. You're the trader you're going to be. Because if you weren't, how would you have gotten here? I totally get that. And even I'm shocked at the way this market has changed me. And I think the reason it's changed me is because I've never really experienced a market like this. Now, let me tell you why I say that. In 1987, when the market crashed 23%, it did it in one day, super fast. I was 20 years old. I had a couple grand in the market. So I didn't experience that in a, um, you know, it, it, like not an emotional, but like it didn't impact me really. It was like, wow, that was crazy. And then for the next two years, it kind of just was grinding upwards. The market crashed between 2000 and 2003 I missed a lot of that. I was insulated from a lot of that because in 1999, I had a business partner that I was not seeing eye to eye with. And I said, look, we need to part ways. So I, I made him an offer. He accepted it. And I needed to put basically all my focus, all my energy, all my resources into transitioning the business. So I put my money with a buddy who was running a hedge fund at that time. So he managed my money mostly for... Uh, 2000, 2001, a little bit 2002. I mean, I was trading a little bit with with some discretionary funds. I mean, I was there for 9-11 and everything, but I was focusing mostly on my business. So again, the emotional impact, that day-to-day -day impact of the market, 
it just didn't uh, it didn't affect me as much. The financial crisis that was different. Okay, the financial crisis I was trading full time. I was the only way I was making money was by trading. I had no other ventures or anything. That was a really traumatic market for me. But I was young and I think I was immature. And I was fighting the market all the way down, over trading, not really doing the work that I needed to do on a daily basis. I was kind of winging it still. And then worse, when the market started to bounce, and well, not bounce, but when it actually found a bottom and started to go up, I fought the market for like nine months. Like I almost blew my account up a few times during the financial crisis. So even though I was there, even though I was experiencing, I wasn't experiencing it in a mindful way. You know, it was just a very random way. Now, I will say that I did learn something from that market and that I brought that forward to the COVID market because I remember when the market bounced from COVID, I remember thinking to myself, this reminds me a lot of the financial crisis where people are thinking the world's going to end. The bears are getting too cocky. And I actually put a post out a few days after we bottomed where I said, you know, the bears, your party's over. You know, it's time to get long. But again, that was a very short market. It was, uh, what, 33 days was the, the you know, the, as long as the bear market lasted. So this market, which... You know, we can say it's been about a year that it's been going down. Not only has it been the first market that I've really uh, been mindful with, but it's the first market that I've been mature enough to pay attention to what's going on. But more importantly than that, it's the first down market that I've been in, um, other than, you know, obviously the quick uh, COVID market where I was doing the Lund Loop. And doing the Lund Loop, writing an update Monday through Thursday, doing the weekend um, strategy video, doing the deconstructing the trade videos, being in the Discord with all these smart Lund Loop subscribers every day has really put my finger on the pulse of what's happening in this market. And one of the things that it's done is it's, it's given me a sense of patience. Again, this could be my age, could be because I'm 55, but... I haven't felt like I had to be super active if if the um, if the market wasn't giving me opportunities. I get on these spaces during the week and there's all these 20, 30-year-old traders there and they're so frenetic and they're so hyperactive and I really don't understand how they're doing it. I kind of feel like the old guy and I want to say to them, well, I, I am the old guy, but I mean, I, mentally I feel old. Most of the time I feel young mentally, uh, but sometimes I get on these and I feel old mentally. And I want to say to him, look, trade like 75% less and you're going to be more profitable and you'll be less stressed. But then I remember, oh, they're 20 and 30. That's how I did it at 20 and 30. And this is the attrition process where some of them are going to figure it out and they're going to be, you know, you and I, they'll be here in 10, 20, 30 years. Some of them are just going to go away and go back to their job as a graphic designer. Um, but this market, for some reason, I've been so much more patient in this market than I have in past markets. And I think one of the biggest takeaways from this market, and this is where we get to the optimistic message thing is, is that if you're still here, 
Oh, I'm telling you, you're fucking primed to make a shitload of money when this market returns to normalcy. You know, one of the things about having a subscription service is that when people cancel, there's a little box where they can put a reason why they cancel. And surprisingly, most people uh, put a reason. What's really funny is in the first three years when someone would cancel, they would usually say, oh, it's not my style or, you know, um, I liked it more when you did charts instead of videos or you're a dick, Brian, or whatever it is. You know, there's some reason like that. This last year, almost every person that's canceled has said, not in the market anymore, out of the market, not trading anymore. This market's too tough. You know, something related to the fact that, oh, they got in and things were good and now they're going back to their job as a graphic designer. That's attrition. That's the way it should be, right? It's hard to trade. It's hard to be profitable on a regular basis. But here's the thing. We've gone through the fire. Now, there may be some more fire, but guess what? The fire that we go through after this is just going to be like the fire that we had last month and the month before. Like we've seen it before. We know this script. We know this play. I feel like we know how to navigate it. And again, I think going through this market, surviving this market is going to put us in such a great position. Now, I don't know if the market will bottom next week next month, next year, maybe 2023 is going to be a even worse year. But you know what I'm confident about? I'm confident about that I'm not going to fuck up. I'm not going to put myself in a position like I did in 2007 through 2009. I know I'm just going to wait and I'm going to keep my powder dry and I'm going to take opportunities where they uh, come up. But I'm keeping my, in the back of my mind, I'm keeping this idea that like, oh man, when we get back to this, the easy money market, when we get to that the market like between uh, 2020 and uh, 2022, you know, or when we get to the market between 2013 and 2016, or when we get to that market between 2017 and 2019, like we're just going to kill it. We're going to kill it. I feel like I'm in a better position than I've ever been in my 37 years to uh, extract lots of money from the market. And it's super exciting. And you should be excited too, because if you're listening to this, you're still here and you've gone through the fire and you've probably learned a lot of lessons that maybe you don't even know on a conscious level, but you've uh, internalized. And not only that, you got a great community, right? The Between the Discord and the daily updates and everything, we're all sharing information. Uh, we've got a thousand sets of eyeballs out there. And uh, I just feel like the best is so yet to come. Um, I would like to repeat that want to be canceled from the Lund loop, whatever you've got me on. Um, if you wish to call and explain what it is, uh, actually, uh, forget that. 
Well, that's it for this episode. If you got any questions, hit me up at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at thelumloop.com. I'll see you next time. Bye.